The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. I think the real reason they asked me to come is because these spiritual disciplines, you can kind of fake a lot of them, the prayer, the solitude, the silence. But simplicity, which is what they asked me to talk about, it's just right there on the surface. And so I am going to leave and they're going to stay and, you know, I'm the one that's going to be subject to judgment for this lesson. Am I living up to it? Simplicity means different things to different people. Uh, I proposed to my wife when I was a junior in college, and Leah already mentioned I went, I went to a large school, wasn't a Christian school, and proposals were pretty rare. In fact, they were so rare that the school newspaper decided to run an article on our engagement. It was a slow news week. So the student journalist calls to interview me, and she asked me to describe what I love about my fiance. It should have been a softball question, and I think I hit a lot of the right things. She's beautiful. She's charming. But then I wanted to emphasize how different she was from these sort of urbane New Englanders. She's, she comes from the South. She's rural. I, I really wanted to express this, and so I said, and you know what? She's She's simple. Well, I'm lucky she kept the ring after she read this piece in the newspaper. It did not communicate exactly what I wanted to communicate, and it was actually several years before we could talk about that story together. (laughs) In his classic work, Freedom of Simplicity, the spiritual writer Richard Foster talks about the complexity of simplicity. Few of us, including my wife, want to be called simple, sounds like plain. And of course, nobody wants to be a simpleton or simple-minded. My son tells me that no one wants to be a simp either. We don't want to be simple people. But on the other hand, probably a lot of us do want to have simple lives or at least simpler lives. After the Great Recession in 2008, there was a, a minimalist movement called Voluntary simplicity or downshifting, it became pretty popular. It was a move to embrace a simpler life with less consumption, fewer goods and services, uh, looking for satisfaction in non-materialistic sources, relationships, experiences. The tiny house phenomenon really sums up that movement. I don't know if that's passed yet or not. But a whole cottage industry grew up around this idea. There was a Martha Stewart-style magazine called Simple Living. It was at the grocery store. Uh, There was uh, Oprah specials devoted to simplicity. And then most recently, in the months before the pandemic, uh, a lot of us sat around with great satisfaction and watched Marie Kondo help people clean out their houses of hundreds of pounds of books and clothes and old toys and everything. Now, this movement towards simplifying, it makes a lot of sense in our context, in the 20th century, in the most consumer-driven culture that the world has ever known. You probably hear stats and things like that about how much stuff Americans have. The average American home has something like 300,000 items. One in 10 Americans has an off-site storage unit just to keep up with the overflow of stuff. 
most of us, you don't have to raise your hands, can't park our cars in our garages because we have a lot of stuff. Even children, the average 10-year-old American has something like 250 toys when they can only play with about 12 toys a day. And we have sort of perversely celebrated this. Uh, We think of the show Hoarders as a kind of entertainment. And I think the entertainment value is, well, at least I'm not as bad as those people are. Now, this is pretty normal stuff, I think, for us, but it's important to remember that it's not always been this way. In fact, a lot of this consumer-driven culture is fairly recent in the past 50 years. According to the story of Stuff, Americans have doubled their consumption of goods just in the last 50 years. And in about that same period of time, the typical American home has tripled in size. And a lot of you have seen this development. You can just drive around Edmond and look at houses built in the 30s, in the 60s, and in the 90s. It wasn't that long ago where less than a thousand square foot home was pretty normal. And we're now in a time where 2,000 square feet feels constricted and small. Or you can just think about Lucille Ball's twin bed versus your king-size bed. We just keep moving up. And to keep up with it, going back to that cottage industry, one of the fastest-growing sectors in American retail is home organization, closet organization. It's an industry which has doubled just since the turn of the millennium, which means that the same consumerist culture which created our problem, has proposed a consumer solution, right? Those closet people are making a lot of money on our excess stuff. Simple Living Magazine is making a lot of money on our desire to live simply, tidying up with Marie Kondo and the container store. Simplified life has been commodified, and simplicity has become yet another consumer good. So, Let's step back from our culture for a minute, step back to another time, what we might think of as a simpler time, although that's a complicated word. And remember that Jesus had a few things to talk about when it came to simplicity. Very, very different context, right? But perhaps the most familiar from the Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. A negative command and a positive command. Do not store up. It's pretty clear. It's admirably clear. If we just pull it out, do not store up. Don't have a lot of stuff. He builds on this later in Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or your body about what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he says. Look at the lilies. God takes care of them. And they don't have closet organizers. Or, or garages bulging with toilet paper and old National Geographics and Christmas decorations. 
Jesus sometimes needs some interpretation, but a lot of times his words are very straightforward. Do not store up treasures. Now, so far, so good. We can actually line this up pretty well with that cultural movement, the downshifting, right? That minimalism, which says, hey, the happy life is an uncluttered life. It's the positive side of this, I think, which sets Jesus apart and which might have prevented him from getting a Netflix special. Don't store up treasures on earth. Do store up treasures in heaven. And I think it's that second part which leads us to kind of allegorize that first part, right? Do store up treasures in heaven. Cultural simplicity is simplicity for its own sake. Literature does connect it with happiness or well-being, but it makes me feel better. It reduces my anxiety to have a kind of clean, simple home, right? But for Jesus, this sort of simple living, the storing up treasures in heaven, is for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, go back a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, if you have two coats, Jesus says, here's what you should do. As soon as you see someone with no coats, you give him one of yours. You keep what you need, one coat, and everything above what you need, you find a way to give it away. You find a way to bless someone else. You find a way to redistribute what you have been given. Hoarding, kind of a negative word, hanging on to more stuff than we need, it's always bad in Jesus' teaching. Remember the rich fool who built another block of storage units. And it's specifically bad because, for Jesus, it hurts the poor. It's not just bad for me and my anxiety. It's actually damaging to others. In this ancient world, it was really obvious who was rich and who was poor, who had and who had not. Think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man walking past his neighbor Lazarus every day. Lazarus with the sores and the dogs licking them. And the rich man dining at his sumptuous table. It's really clear that this man had too much and this man did not have enough. And our world is still like this. There are still lots and lots of poor Lazaruses. We've just done a better job of separating everyone out so that we don't have to walk past them every day so that we don't have to feel the pain or see the suffering. It's still a matter of rich and poor, even in our world. But things have changed. We can talk about the poor. We can talk about sharing our coats, and we need to. But we can also talk about the earth. This is not something Jesus talked as much about but it's certainly an issue in our world. What's our consumer-driven culture resulted in? Well, we've kind of wrecked the environment to some extent, and we are not slowing down very much. So we can think about our downshifting, our simplicity, as friendship with our fellow creatures, the land itself, and all of the other things which God has made. It's still for the sake of another. It's still for the sake of the kingdom, this simple life. 
For Jesus, it comes down to an either or. I'm not very comfortable with zero sums. I'm an academic. We like nuance. But for Jesus, it's very often an either or. Either I have treasure on earth or I have treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth. Do store up treasures in heaven. There's not really much space for doing both of those things well. It's like the camel in the eye of the needle. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Either here or there. But not both, not in between. A few verses later, he says, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and stuff, wealth, mammon. For Jesus, the opposite of simple is not cluttered. The opposite of simple is not complicated. For Jesus, the opposite of simple is divided, pulled between these two desires. Jesus isn't just calling us to simple living, to a simple home. Jesus is calling us to actually be simple. Outward simplicity for Jesus is a sign of an inward disposition, an attitude towards God and the world. And in biblical language, the opposite of simplicity is double-mindedness. Remember in James 1, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. To be double-minded means to be pulled in two directions. The single-minded or single-hearted person is the one who is pulled in one direction. God-oriented in biblical language. They don't swerve to the right or to the left. They don't hedge their bets on mammon while they're waiting for God to come through. Simple living is not a goal in itself for Jesus, but simple living is a byproduct of this full faithful dependence upon God's grace. It simply happens when our heart is properly oriented. In the Beatitudes, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall see God. Now, probably you're more familiar with the translation, blessed are the pure in heart, which is fine. The word in Greek is literally pure. But we can get the wrong impression. When we hear pure in heart, we might think the, the righteous or the morally upright or the sexually pure. That's when we, where we typically use that language. But in Greek, this word pure actually means unmixed or undivided. Pure gold is unmixed with other metals, and a pure heart is unmixed in its affection. James echoes this. James is very much like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Who needs to purify their hearts? The double-minded, because purity is the opposite of doubleness. Purity is singleness. It's interesting to me that James uses the word clean. Clean your hands. Purify your hearts. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, the psalmist says. But it's not just sinlessness like the washing white of snow and so on. I think this is where Jesus and Marie Kondo meet back up. A clean, a pure, a simple heart will correspond in some way to a clean, pure, simple house, car, closet. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying everyone needs to make up their bed every day. It's a fine thing to do. Some of you are working on that. God knows that with my four children, there's enough food scraps under my table to feed an island nation. This has not been Franklin's cleanliness is next to godliness. What I am saying is that our devotion to the God of creation, our devotion to the God of the poor, our devotion to the God of Jesus should result in patterns of consumption which are distinctive from our American neighbors. There should be something visibly different about the followers of Jesus. Something that you can see in our closets and garages and pantries because it's a reflection of something different in our hearts. Simplicity is both a spiritual and a physical discipline. And now we're back to Foster's complexity of simplicity because how do we do this? Consumer culture is so powerful. We're pressured to buy every day. Many of us, every minute, we are on our phones or online, we are being pressured to buy, to conform, to have more. Advertisers micro-target us. Even the government wants us to shop. Some of you remember George Bush after 9-11 saying, "Go go to the mall, retail therapy. Shopping is patriotic. Few of us, I think, are strong enough to swim against these currents. But I do think we're strong enough together to do something differently. I'm not sure what it looks like. Jesus and his followers were essentially homeless, one pair of clothes, one set of shoes. All their stuff would have fit in a backpack, I imagine. That's impossible here in Edmond. I think we can all agree with that. We have to throw out the WWJD at least in the very literal sense here. It's this difficulty, I think, which leads some of us to just give up and say it's just a heart matter. It's just about singleness of heart. It's just about purity of heart. And to ignore that don't store up treasures on earth part. But I don't think we should give up so quickly on the discipline of simplicity. We don't have to figure out everything on our own. We do it together as families. And some of you already do this. We do it together as a community, a Christian community. We try to answer some basic questions. What does a simple life look like here in Edmond? What do I need or what do we need to live? And what is above and beyond what we need? Who in our community doesn't have what they need? And how can I distribute my excess to those with a deficit? What is enough? 
Someone has said that's the least used word in American culture. Enough. No more. I'm full. What should our witness on social media look like? Is it moving people towards simplicity? Or does it create envy and more consumption? There's no one answer to these. That's why I said it's complex. But the Holy Spirit does empower the people of God to answer these questions with a kind of authority. We can figure it out for ourselves in this place. And it doesn't mean we hold anyone else to our standard of judgment, but the Holy Spirit can work through this people in this place to figure out what a simple life looks like, to move us in the direction. This may be the most difficult discipline in our context. Things like solitude and meditation, 4,000 years doesn't change those basic human practices. But our material world is so very different from the ancient world, it's really hard to catch up. I'll bet you've seen someone that embodies this. I know a few people that genuinely manage to live a simple life. Hard to sum up exactly what that means, but you know it when you see it. But it's enough for me to think it's possible that I can repair this divided heart and clean up my closet and get my life in order, even if it's a lifetime's work. And if simplicity is daunting to you, or it seems overwhelming, I mean the closet part, not just the spiritual inventory, well, you're not alone. The one group of people I think who have embodied this well are the Quakers. Don't see much about the Quakers anymore. But in their heyday, they were known for simplicity. Simplicity in every respect. Uh, simplicity of speech. The Quakers used thee and thou because that was the more basic or common form of speech. It sounds formal to us. It was basic in the 17th century. The Quakers dressed simply. You might remember the guy on the Quaker Oats box with the black hat and the black suit. Uh, they didn't go in for, for fancy buttons or frills. The Quakers uh, even... Well, their lives were simple, oriented around the gospel, but even their worship, this is what a lot of people know, their worship consisted of silent contemplation. It doesn't get much simpler than that. And yet they, they did sing sometimes. And one of the songs that they're best known for, which some of you know, is called Simple Gifts, and it's a song about simplicity. It says, "'Tis the gift to be simple.'" Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn will be our delight. Till turning, turning, we come round right. We just keep trying. We keep going. We keep following Jesus in that movement downward. Not upward to heaven. Our treasures, ironically, in heaven mean that we move down, down, down into solidarity with the poor, into closer communion with one another. The simplicity of the Sermon on the Mount is a life 
Long discipline, yes, but if we become simple in the way Jesus was simple, it won't be our achievement. As the Quakers well understood, true simplicity, which results in true freedom, is always a gift from God. And may all the hearers of God's word be blessed with it.